Hello and welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I am Ross. And I, as usual, I'm Gordon. Hey Gordon. Well, for many serious photographers, the coming fall season is when they really like to get out and photograph those colors that show up in the fall. How about you? Oh yeah. Yep. Do it every year. And how do you find your images when they're done? Uh, well, when I look at them, they look terrific from the color perspective. And I always look uh, for a clear day where I can use a polarizing filter to bring the blue out of the sky and make the rest of the colors pop. Well, that's great. And do you make prints of these images that you take the time to go out and make? Well, to tell the truth, no, really. I am generally happy with what I get or what I have kept. But there is something missing that doesn't really discourage me, but also doesn't compel me to make a print of it. Yeah, I get that. I'm often there myself. So what do, what do you end up doing with your images? Well, I keep them in the Lightroom library. I probably put them into collections of some variety under some particular heading. And I look at them every now and again. Well, what you're describing is very consistent. Here in Canada, we experience fall colors every year. And while we will see the odd fall color print, they are less common than you might expect. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the subject? I have some thoughts because, like you, I have a large collection, or had, before some very aggressive cleanup, lots of fall color images that didn't have it, whatever it is. So I invested the time to look at the ones that were more satisfying that if they had something extra, could have been prints. So, for clarity, you determined the best by whether or not you would print that image or not. Is that about correct? Well, yeah, that and that works for me. Might not be the right model for other folks, because fall colors appear each year, I'm starting to run the risk of finding them boring in and of themselves. I found that the ones that had the strongest legs were the ones where the fall colors provided context to something else, meaning they weren't the primary subject. Um, not following. How do you mean? Well, for me, the colors on their own are pretty, but they're also like a very pretty flower. It's not enough. Fall colors as the background for a distant shot with a long lens of a small town or village, particularly if the buildings have rich coloration, makes a difference. It sets a tone and a story of the people who live there. The same thing is true of a photograph made of children or pets helping with the raking of leaves. The leaves show the end of something, but with a counterpoint of the joy and excitement found by the children or the critters. That appeals to me. I could also use the colors as different zones in a black and white image of a person raking the leaves to tell a different story and have a different mood. Not necessarily one that's joyful. However, 
I've discovered something far more useful across the board. Oh, interesting. Tell me more. Well, as you know, I advocate the model of exposed to the right in general. But I've learned that it matters most when we have these rich colors and the narrower dynamic range that comes from dark shadows and bright highlights. Okay, I think I need you to expand on that idea. I think I know where you're going, but let's take the time to be clear about that. Sure. We've talked about how exposing to the right means more data in each exposure zone because that's how sensors work. The more light in any exposure zone, the more data. People are afraid to try this because they look at the image on the LCD and it looks overexposed because it is overexposed. And more so if they use the back of the camera histogram, which is based on the camera's embedded JPEG, it tells them that there's a ton of clipping going on and they've been taught since word go that clipping is bad. So if I may reiterate what I have gleaned from this and other discussions we've had, the dark areas of the image have less data. The bright areas have more data. So exposing to the right is intentionally overexposing. Adding more data to the image in general and then adjusting in post-processing. Then the adjusted image has overall more data and the adjusted docs have more detail. I understand the sensor science, but I also see why photographers may not like what they see on the LCD. Because with this technique, what you see on the LCD looks like crud. Well, that's fair. ETTR, exposed to the right, means that you are overexposing with intent and with the prior knowledge that what you see on the LCD is going to look blown out or like crud. <laughs> it also states up front that JPEGs, including the embedded JPEG in the RAW file, are going to look lousy. And the histogram that's based on those is going to look terrifying. Well, hang on a second. We've been trained to trust the histogram. Now I'm hearing you saying that it cannot be trusted. Can you explain? Sure. All histograms that we see in camera and in processing software are initially based on the embedded JPEG. When the raw file is converted to a working space in post-processing, the histogram will change to be a bit more accurate. However, all histograms are based on an 8-bit space, whereas your RAW files, my RAW files, pretty much everybody's RAW files, are going to be 14-bit. Unless for some unknowable reason you choose to drop the bit depth of the RAW files. Well, uh, I guess we should, uh, we know that a 12-bit file takes up less space and in the final outcome is going to be similar to a JPEG or will ultimately finish up as a JPEG on social media. And it should not really matter. And that's not an unreasonable theorem. 
However, it's best when you are a photographer, as opposed to a snapshotter, to start with the highest bit depth you can and then downscale to a lower bit depth as your very last step. The concern about storage space that some people say, well, I'll use a smaller RAW file, doesn't make any sense considering how cheap storage is these days. I just bought a 256 gigabyte SDXC card for my R5, and it was about 50 bucks for a really high performance card. Each RAW file from the R5 averages about 90 megabytes, so I can store on that one card about 2,844 images. If I'm taking that many images before downloading, I have a very different and a much bigger problem. Uh, yep, that's it. <laughs> I come back from the uh, air show recently with uh, approximately 3,500 images. I fully relate to what you're saying. Okay, so you go out for a shoot and come back with, uh, let's say, 100 images. You download them to the computer, and as I know your process, you will use a raw viewer of some kind to cull them before you go to Lightroom Classic and then import what's left. You will then go through them again after Lightroom Classic has applied its own raw converter and decide which ones to work on. Then make a collection out of the ones that you think need to be worked on and do post-processing only on those images. Yeah, that's a good synopsis of my process because all the images are overexposed. Anything that I decide to work on is going to need corrections. Nothing is going to go ahead without making adjustments. Now, I may do that in Lightroom using the sliders in the basic adjustments panel, or I may send the image to Photoshop and use luminosity masks if the dynamic range is particularly narrow or the native contrast is very high. No matter what route I take, I still have work to do. Okay, so give me a high-level overview of your steps. And I understand that each image is unique, so your settings will be different for each image. There are no presets, presets involved in your workflow. That's correct. I love presets like I would love a boil on my neck. I will use the blacks and whites sliders to adjust those levels to be on the edges of the histogram, knowing that the histogram is still only an 8-bit representation. I don't have an issue if the histogram in Lightroom clips a bit because it's still based on 8 bits, while my RAW file or converted RAW file is still 14 bits deep. I then use the shadows and highlight sliders to open the shadows, which have more data because I overexpose that area, and I'll pull down the highlights because there's more data there, and even if my screen wouldn't show it, I know it's there because of how the sensor math works. This allows me to leverage the power of that 14-bit RAW file to significantly extend the dynamic range of the edit. From that point on, it's really subjective in terms of curves, color, sharpening, and any creative effect I might apply, like a subtle vignette. Okay. I got that, I think. 
sensors record data and the more data the better the image you don't however mention any noise reduction why not well mostly because i never do any pretty much ever i set the display to full screen and back up to view the image from a normal viewing distance if the first thing that i see is noise well that image goes straight to the trash can over 95% of the time, I can't see noise at proper viewing distance, even when I look for it. Pixel peeping is, to be blunt, a complete and utter waste of time and effort and responsible for more blurry images due to the application of excessive noise reduction used than most any other tool. Well... At least now I know you don't have any strong opinions on, the, uh, on noise reduction. So, to summarize, exposing to the right puts more data to hand in every exposure zone, and that gives you more to work with so that you can make better-looking images. Yeah, it's a technically driven approach. But all the use of that approach in the world will not make an image stand up if the image has no story to tell. It's okay to have a pretty picture, but I personally don't care about pretty. I want story. So I will choose to use fall colors to enhance a story and not try to have them be the story. Goodness knows that I've made enough pretty pictures without any kind of story that I have no need to continue to make a single one more. So what would you recommend for people to start uh, using this ETTR system? And is there any guides as to how an average photographer, like myself, can assess their exposure settings before the fact if the long, venerable histogram means diddly squat? Well, remember, the histogram means diddly squat when we're using ETTR. It's a not unreasonable guide when you're not. But I don't think it's completely rote simple. As you know, because you've talked about it, as a creative, you have to see the image and pre-visualize the outcome before you squeeze the shutter. However, I understand that doing so is a long-built skill. So if someone wants to start somewhere, always shoot in raw, and shoot at one and a half stops over, or one and a third. You don't have to go more, much more than that to start to see a tangible difference in the final. The image on the LCD is going to look horrible, so don't look at it. When you're culling, look at the composition and the presence or lack of story, and don't let the exposure influence your keep or discard decision. There's so much data in this RAW file that you're going to be able to fix any serious exposure issues that may have occurred. Trust yourself on the exposure, or if you're really nervous, when you're making the image, take two. One at normal, that is zero, and one using the ETTR method, say overexposed a stop and a half. But remember, the ETTR version is the one that you're going to do the work on. Well. I have to admit that's an interesting approach. But, of course, it's up to the photographer to try it or not. 
And since I've worked with you for what feels like forever, I'll go out on a limb and say that my experience has been that regardless of how outrageous the idea seems, you are usually correct. So, I would suggest to the interested listener, go out, shoot some images for practice, and uh, use your suggestions. You may be surprised. Thank you all for listening. I'm Gordon. I'm Ross. Please feel free to leave a comment or send in a question. If you shop at BNH Photo Video, please use the link on the main page as it pays a small commission and costs you nothing more. Until next time, peace.